following very special program is presented in living color. Welcome to a very special episode of Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. It's our Super 70s special, an entire podcast dedicated to one of the greatest decades in sports, of course, the 1970s. I'm Tom Davis here in the City of Angels and joining me from Big D with more action than my man John Woo and dropping mad hits like Rod Carew, it's Rudy Klanick. Tom, man, I am thrilled to introduce our guest. This is going to, we're going to be winging it a little bit because usually we interview Warren Moon or Jim Abbott or Ron Say, and then we talk about that number and all, but we got a new one today. We're going to just talk to the great Ricky Cobb. And if you don't know that name, you probably aren't on Twitter because this is our super 70s guy, super 70s sports guy. 375 plus thousand followers. Amazing. Ricky, welcome to the show, man. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. I'm uh, I'm excited to break your streak of having actual accomplished athletes as your as your guests. Uh, you know, Jim Abbott, Warren Moon, Ron Say, those are those are all some, some really impressive names. And I'm coming to the party now with total average uh neighborhood dad athletic ability so <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, I, i'm speaking i'm speaking for the common guy today on this show uh, that's awesome <laughs> you're not a common guy you're kicking butt on twitter before we jump into the numbers and talk about the 70s numbers can you give us kind of the the genesis of this the twitter follow and 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 kind of just you know, I know you started in 2015, but can you take us through the, the Cliff Notes version of that? I was just a guy who I think was looking for an outlet creatively. And I may not have known to say it in that way at the time. I probably wasn't even consciously aware that that's what it was. And I suppose that really, as much as anything, I was, I was about a dozen years into a college professor career and raising a family. I've got five daughters, two, two stepdaughters, as, as I know you guys know. And uh, those things were, are certainly wonderfully re- rewarding and, and, and all of those nice things. But I've always been a creative person and I've always been a guy that, who enjoyed comedy. And uh, I, I just sort of stumbled into a way to merge my love of comedy with my love of sports and with my obviously deep affection for the era that I grew up in. So uh, I, I managed to fa- find a way to kind of tie most of my strong passions together. And I'm absolutely amazed and astonished that I'm here talking to you guys today with the following that I've amassed because I never, ever thought that this would be something more than something for my friends and maybe a few other people would find it uh, to 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 be the super seventies guy after not being that guy for uh, forty odd years of my life has been the most wonderful adventure that I could ever possibly have imagined. Now, Ricky, you mentioned it earlier. You have five daughters, two stepdaughters, and a granddaughter, right? So eight women plus your wife. Let's say that's nine. So. I'm interested in the process. 
How often are you posting? How are you doing things? How are you with your day job as well? How are you balancing and juggling all that? Super 70s is, is extraordinarily time consuming and it is hard to balance it with being a dad and having a full-time gig a, a, as a professor. So, um, you know, sometimes I tell people, I, I feel like I've created a beast and now the beast must be fed and the beast needs to be fed a couple of dozen times a day, probably because that's the expectation that I've set for myself. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I love it. But there's definitely a challenge to, to, to balancing your, your, your other career and being a, being a dad, which is the most important job that I have, obviously. I love it when uh, one of your devoted followers complains that you're talking about the 80s or the 90s. <laughs> I always laugh. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder what people are hoping to accomplish, you know, when they say, well, that's 1982. And I'm like, well, I guess I just better put up the out of business sign now. You know, you've, you've <laughs> right. exposed it's all, it's all over. I, I post things. The thing that's funny is probably half of what I post is outside the seventies. If you really go through and look at it, maybe at least a third yep. of it is. And, 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 and that's deliberate because honestly, I mean, people ask me and I hope that I'm not preemptively cutting off one of your questions, but, but one of the questions I get is why did you name it super 70 sports? And the truth is, I probably put about four seconds of thought into what I was going to call it because I didn't know that it was going to become a part of my identity. If yeah. I had known that, maybe I would have named it something else, but it's kind of hard to imagine it being anything else now. Uh, but I, I learned fairly early on that I was going to have to move away from the 70s at least some of the time and move away from sports at least some of the time simply because that gave me so much more material to work with. Yeah. And so when I found out that people liked that and they enjoyed the pop culture stuff and television, movies, commercials, toys, whatever, you know, the atmospherics of our childhood for those of us of a certain age, yeah. uh, when I found out that people really enjoyed that as much and sometimes more than the sports tweets, then that really freed me up to be able to, you know, try to tackle all kinds of different material. And, and it made my job easier because at the end of the day, right, there's only so many things that happened in the seventies. And uh, while I'm still pulling up uh, nuggets from uh, places, even now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm not that close to exhausting it, but, but it's nice to be able to branch out and talk about other stuff too. You had me when you showed the Evil Knievel toy commercial. You know, I, I love the baseball card stuff, but the Evil Knievel commercial always bugged me, and I'm glad it bugged you too. Uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> These commercials, they always made the toys seem so much fun. Yep. And I know that that's their job, newsflash, right? Right. But the Knievel commercial took all kinds of liberties with physics. And no, so the, the creative, the, the creative folks should have been indicted. They should have been indicted for fraud. <laughs> that guy never landed on his wheels. <laughs> never not once. And believe me, I don't, I don't, I don't think he was doing all kinds of crazy eighties in the air and, and whatever, whatever that was, you yeah, know, so 
poor us when we were kids we we got evil home and usually he was just on a straight suicide mission uh, under the couch or the kitchen table or something you know <laughs> exactly right ricky speaking of toys you've also done some things about one of my favorite toys super toe you could kick a field goal 85 90 yards with super toe he was he was the pete gogolak he was uh, don cockroft he was fred cox he was all of the 70s kickers in one the man had a leg that just absolutely would not stop <laughs> The greatest range, I mean, I, you know, I've said before that he, he had more range than Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know about accuracy always, but I mean, he wasn't going to leave it short. We weren't going to have any Cody Parkey uh, crossbar. <laughs> no. I mean, it was, it was, it was gone. And, 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 you know, it's funny, not long ago, maybe about, gosh, maybe going on about a year ago now, the governor of Minnesota requested a uh, super toe tweet from me and so uh, i I, tw- I tweeted a super toe out uh, for the for tim walls there in, in minnesota and uh he thanked me for it so he he, he won some affection in my heart for uh being the governor who uh, is not too proud to admit that super toe was a badass that is amazing. Who are some of your all-star cast of followers right now? In terms of bigger names, uh, Jimmy Kimmel and, and Bill Burr are, are a couple of comedy guys that I have the uh, tremendous amount of respect for. George Lopez follows me. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr., John Elway. Fran Tarkenton followed me. And I mean, come on, Fran. Right. Are you kidding me, Fran Tarkenton? <laughs> it's pretty remarkable sometimes when I look at my follower list and I, I see some of the names that follow me and I think, how in the world is this person, in many cases, people that I've looked up to since childhood, in a lot of cases. I remember when, uh, when Dale Murphy followed me. I was at a White Sox game. And it came across, it said, Dale Murphy followed you. And I just remember thinking, and this is back when I had maybe like five or 6,000 followers. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit more starstruck then than I am now. Although, although I hope I never outgrow that entirely because I want to appreciate what a unbelievable uh, lightning in a bottle situation I have here. But uh, that came through and I remember thinking to myself, well, that's probably Dale Murphy, the orthodontist from Marietta. <laughs> and it, and it's, no, it's, it's that Dale Murphy from WTBS, home run hitting, gold glove wearing yeah. Dale Murphy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in the beginning, it was just astonishing to me when I would see something get retweeted uh, by someone I know very early on. I want to give a shout out to uh, to Rob Lowe and his brother, Chad. You know, that to me was just crazy because I was only at that time really just in real time understanding that, wow, maybe this is actually going out of my circle because people are seeing this that are, you know, people I've heard of. And that's weird. How is that happening? It was like I was suddenly broadcasting to a real audience and a real audience that included people that in some cases I looked up to and, and, you know, was a fan of. So it was really, really crazy initially. And it was a it was a validation. It certainly gave me a lot of confidence. So you mentioned Dale Murphy, who was number three, Super Toe, also number three, for those of you who are still on the uniform number tip with us. Ricky, you're internet famous. 
Rudy and I aspire to be internet famous. What are the trappings of internet fame? What velvet ropes are going to open for us in the future? What do we have to look forward to? We're, we're sort of looking into the future here with you. You are a future man. What do we have to look forward to being internet famous? Well, you know, I, it's it's really hard for me because I had to halt the party to record this podcast. You know, I've got the dancing. <laughs> Everything. This is basically Playboy Mansion Midwest at this point, really. Um, you know, I still I still struggle a little bit with the idea of being internet famous. It's been wonderful. It's opened doors for me. I've gotten to meet people and go places and do things that I don't think would have been afforded to me if people didn't know who I was. And so that part of it's great but I'm known enough now that you start to get a little bit of the unfun side of that too, because you're a public figure and there's people out there and you know, there are people out there that don't like this, don't like that or offended by this or offended by that and whatever. So, you know, you, you have to develop a, a little bit of a thick skin, which by nature, I'm a very sensitive person and I take things to heart. So you kind of got to get over that a little bit because you understand that it's almost like you have to understand that the character is another. And by that, I mean, I'm myself on the Twitter feed, but it's a performance, right? I'm not the Twitter guy 24 seven, like walking around, cussing this, cussing that, pointing this out, pointing that out. That's a part of me. It's authentic. I don't have to fake it. I, I often tell people that the Twitter persona is just me with the, you know, the volume knob turned all the way to the right. But that's certainly not where I live my day-to-day -day life, right? It's, it's show business, partly. And uh, you have to kind of look at it that way. You have to learn to look at it that way so that when people say, you know, hateful, terrible things to you, you have to realize that they're just talking about what their perception of the Internet guy is they don't know Ricky Cobb, the person, you know, so there, there's good and bad. The good far outweighs the bad. But uh, yeah, getting a little bit famous is is a trip, dude. It really is. Well, well, Rudy and I are looking it. forward. Yeah, we, yeah, we wait, absolutely man. look forward to it. And <laughs> I am. I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to use don't you know who I am pretty much like punctuation. That's what that's my plan uh, overall. So what reason is there to be famous otherwise, Tom? Right. My point exactly. My point exactly. If not to carry on vendettas and, and petty grudges, I don't really see a reason or an upside to being famous at all and wouldn't aspire to it in any way. It's also a victory uh, in a sense against anybody who ever said something to you that rubbed you the wrong way or nice. underestimated you or whatever. My, my high school calculus teacher, this is really... This is really all just a symbolic double middle finger salute to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to her. <laughs> well, Ricky, where do you see this all going? I mean, I know you you started it and you really had no idea that it would get to this point. Do you look into the future and have a, a grand plan or any sort of roadmap that you're trying to follow now that you've got 375 thousand odd followers and you've got the super 70s sports store i imagine you'll probably have action figures and lord knows what else in the near future but where do you see all this going well it, the thing that's one of the things that's been challenging is is i i felt a little bit like daniel boone 
you know, cutting through the Cumberland Gap at times because there's not really a great playbook for what I'm doing. There's not anybody that's like the person that I would have looked to to be like, okay, what did he do? And this is how you do this thing that I'm doing, which I don't even know what you call it. You know, it's just such a it's just such a sudden turn that I've made in the middle of my life. And once I started to get an audience and I started to tweet more frequently, you're, you know, a a young man, or in my case, an older man's thoughts turn to monetization, right? Time is money. And I was working on this easily 10 plus hours a day, probably. And you start to think, well, you know, as I've told people before, you can't go to the bank and deposit retweets. Unfortunately, <laughs> so good. So you got to figure out how do you how do you do this? And so we we did launch the Super Seventy Sports Store, and the response has been so incredible. I'm so grateful to to everyone in in my audience who has supported the store, and and supporting the store really is what allows me to do what I do, because the amount of time that I put into it is immense, quite frankly. And it's a labor of love, but it's also a a labor that you hope that you'll be rewarded for eventually. And with the store, we've really kind of, we've really kind of changed the game. And we've, we've got over 600 shirts in the store. It's, it's a mix of defunct teams and and your favorite old TV shows and and things like that. Stuff like the Regal Beagle from Three's Company. You know, we have shirts for those kinds of things. And and it's a very niche kind of thing, probably. But I I pride myself on trying to put stuff in the store that maybe people haven't haven't seen a hundred other places, you know, things that are unique and and so forth. But I, I definitely would love to grow this into uh, a platform that goes, you know, beyond Twitter, because Twitter's obviously been wonderful to me, although I think I'm pretty good in person too. So I would like to be able to explore longer form content, and I'd like to be able to explore even eventually doing things like stand up and, and so forth. That's awesome, man. That's great. That's great. Well, best of luck with with all of that. And uh, Rudy, Ricky, I hope you guys have your helmets locked on tight here. You guys are kind of the Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong of podcasting here because we're going to dive into this 70s discussion now and we have no idea at all where this is going to go, but we hope it's going to be wildly interesting to those of you who grew up in the 70s or have some affinity for the 70s. And I'll kind of kick it off just talking a little bit about, you know, uniform numbers in the 70s. And one of the things that Ricky Rudy and I have talked about a lot was every quarterback was number 12, right? Terry Bradshaw, Bob Greasy, Joe Namath, Ken Stabler, Roger Staubach, all number 12s, all in the Hall of Fame. They're the reason that Jim Kelly came along later and wore number 12. We were looking at it with the exception of 1970 when the Colts beat the Cowboys. A number 12 won every Super Bowl in the 70s. So that was just the quarterback number. Um, and there doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, are there other numbers, Ricky, that come to your head where you just think, you know, that was a 70s thing? First of all, 12 is definitely at the top of that list for the reasons that you stated. It, it still is to some degree, right? Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. You still have these great number 12s. And, and probably to one degree or another, they were influenced by looking at these number 12s from, from the 70s, right? I mean, everybody wants to be like their 
athletic hero. And I think many people, I, I, I don't know what answers you're going to get when you ask these athletes, uh, you know, why they chose their numbers. But I would think that many of them were probably inspired by somebody that they admired. So 12 is probably in a, in a category of its own. I certainly think like 32 and 34 were some really great running backs when I was a kid, Earl Campbell, 34 and, yep. uh, you know, J Jim Brown, 32, but it seemed like there were a lot of 32s and 34s when I was a kid who were, who were doing some work, uh, running the ball, you know? Yeah. 32 and 34. So you got Walter Payton and Earl Campbell, as you mentioned, OJ Simpson, uh, who wore number 32 incidentally because of Jim Brown, which I'm sure thrills Jim Brown to no end. Uh, Franco Harris, uh, you know, you wind him up, he runs out of bounds. That's the Franco Harris doll. Uh, and Otis Anderson, if you remember from the St. Louis football Cardinals rookie of the year in 1979. So 70% of the rushing titles in the NFL in the 1970s were won by somebody wearing number 34 or number 32. Rudy, any other thoughts uh, related well, to first, football? Yeah, no, first of all, you, you left out the maybe the greatest running back, number 32, Benny Malone from the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I mean, my God, Benny Malone. The most bow-legged dude the, you've my, ever seen in your the life. run against the Raiders in the greatest uh, football game ever played is, uh, is my slow motion. I, I put myself to bed thinking of that, man. That was the best. A great 32, for sure. One of my favorite things about your Twitter feed is is your love of sports cards, baseball, football, everything cards. And honestly, that's how I became like a jersey number freak, you know, just kind of as a rain man. Just looking at cards continuously, yeah. you become kind of sensitive and understand. You remember the picture, you remember the pose, and you remember their number. I wonder if you have that same kind of revelations. Absolutely. I actually, I actually just purchased the 1976 Topps football set. Uh, Fantastic. Walter Payton, rookie, brother. Payton, rookie. See, that was one of the holes in my collection because Walter makes that set kind of pricey. Yep. So I, uh, I did 77 and 74 and 75 first, and then I finally got around to Walter. But in some cases, particularly if you had a team that wasn't on national TV a lot and it wasn't your local team, that card in some respects, that might be the only time that you really saw that player that year, right? Yeah, for and sure. Yeah. I would look at those cards and I would just imagine the guy, you know, what's he like? How does he run? You know, like what? It's almost like you, it was like the difference between reading a book and watching a, a movie where you kind yeah. of fill it in with yourself and you're taking those bits and pieces of information from the back and they were they meant everything you know i still yeah. i still have a tremendous affinity and connection to those old sports cards of my youth even just the smell of them if you just absolutely what? 70s cards just run that under my nose and that's still to me like one of the most pleasurable uh yeah. you know no i i totally agree it's funny um you know, there's so much greatness about those old pictures. You still remember, you can absolutely vividly remember. I know that I know exactly what that Peyton rookie looks like. You know, uh, the pictures weren't great, but some of the pictures have made some phenomenal comedy for you, especially the weirdness of having vehicles parked in the background during games. <laughs> I still don't know what is up with that. It, it was San Diego was notorious for it. Yep. Pittsburgh was notorious. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the video of Lynn Swan where Bradshaw overthrows him in the end zone and Swan yep. 
momentum takes him through and he actually tumbles over the top of a sedan. It's unbelievable. Can you imagine in this day and age, the investment that you're making in these athletes and somebody's just like, oh, I'm just going to park my car by the goalpost. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you mentioned Len Swan, 88 was a big number in the seventies as well. You had Lynn Swan, you had Drew Pearson, you had Richard Casta, who was uh, one of Joe Namath's uh, favorite targets there on uh, Monday night football highlights. Never saw a Jets game on TV ever. Um, and a guy that I had to do research on Ricky, maybe you remember Charlie Sanders. Oh my God. Charlie Sanders. Okay, here we go. Charlie Sanders on the 1970s all-decade team. He was a tight end for the Detroit Lions, seven-time <laughs> Pro Bowler. He's in the Hall of Fame. I had no idea who Charlie Sanders was until yesterday. No idea. You no, know, I mean, I uh, I got to tell you, he's he's a little bit low on the radar for a Hall of Famer. <laughs> he might be the lowest on the radar. So Drew Pearson obviously started a tradition with the number 88 that was then passed on to Michael Irvin and Des Bryant and Antonio Bryant there for a second before they realized he wasn't equal to the number. Uh, and now CD lamb. So the best receiver that the Cowboys have is number, number 88. And Swan had mentioned that he got number 88 because he had to wear a number in the eighties back then. He was 22 at USC. So he just said, ah, just give me 88. Then we also have the great Alan page judge, the honorable Alan page, uh, who was the MVP of not the defensive MVP, the MVP of the entire league in 1971 and a nine-time Pro Bowler, the only other defensive player to ever do that was Lawrence Taylor. So 88 was a big number in the 70s, yeah? I knew that that was 1971 because that's the year I was born. And so it's always stuck with me. And I thought, man, how good do you have to be to be the MVP as a defensive player, right? You know, the worst MVP in the history of the NFL has got to be Mark Mosley. One hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> you know, the year that you know that was the that was the strike year, the first strike year of the eighties. But he was nineteen of twenty-two on extra points. <laughs> <laughs> he missed three extra points. <laughs> That's my favorite NFL st uh, statistical tidbit is that a kicker was the MVP of the league. And eh, 19 out of 22 on extra point. I could have gone seven. Super toe is more accurate yeah, than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alan Page, that's a, that's a, I was always fascinated with guys who had numbers that uh, weren't necessarily the number that you would expect. So Harold Carmichael was a guy for me yeah. when I was a kid. Cause oh, I was yeah. just, just like, Ooh, you know, a 17, you know, like that's, that's pretty badass, and of course, you know he was a really tall guy as well. But I always found guys who had numbers that you know they played a position where you wouldn't expect them. Was it uh, was it Van Pelt from the uh, from yeah, the Giants 10. who was a line? Yeah, Brad Van Pelt. So you know things like that where I'm just like, oh man, that that dude looks like a quarterback. That, you know that that punter it looks like he could really kick somebody's ass. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, he's a linebacker. It's, I always thought that that was kind of wild. Yeah, before they made the change to assign numbers in 73, you had a lot of uh, a lot of really kind of cool things going on. Let's make a switch to baseball. And, you know, the one number that I've got there is 44. I mean, you think about Hank Aaron and Willie McCovey and, you know, Reggie Jackson didn't start wearing it until 77. But is there a number other than 44 that kind of comes up in the 70s for you guys? 44 to me is the number of the 70s in baseball. 
Um, that's the first one that I think of. Reggie Jackson was my favorite player when I was a kid. He was my first favorite player. And so 44 is what he was wearing at that time because he was a Yankee by the time that I came of age. And yep. so, you know, you have, as you said, he and Hank Aaron and Willie McCovey. I mean, what else do you need? If, if 44 is good enough for those three dudes who have, you know, probably 1,800 home runs between the three of them, then, you know, that's a great, that's obviously a great number. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in, you know, the, the world we lived in in the 70s, uh, players, I mean, Reggie did move from the, obviously the A's to the Yankees, but guys just didn't move. Guys stayed the same place. And so there wasn't a lot of jersey swapping. They they made those numbers indelible because their careers stayed in the same city, right? True. I mean, true. In the days of the reserve clause, it, it just kind of was what it was. And so when free agency changed the game in the, in the mid seventies, you, you started to see more of that where guys go to different teams and they change numbers. And you look at some guys, baseball reference pages and, you know, they've had four five, six, seven different numbers in their career, you know, but, um, yeah, it's it's one of those deals where I think for some guys it's extremely important to them to try to maintain that consistency, even if they change franchises. And I think for other guys, you know, it, it it's no big deal. Whatever the you know whatever the clubhouse guy assigns me, that's fine. So let's turn to basketball real real quick. And there's th- three numbers there, and you guys can talk about any any one of these. But you know, 44 with Jerry West, George Gervin, and Pistol Pete. At least until '76, when he when he found religion and changed to number seven, you know you got 32, which was, um, you know Magic Johnson there towards the end, or at least in '79. Uh, but you had Bill Walton, you had Dr. J in the yep. ABA years uh, before he changed number six with the with the Sixers, um, and he did that because of Bill Russell. Uh, and then you had 33, right? So you have Kareem, you've got Larry Bird, you've got David Thompson, and you've got Magic in college at Michigan State. So, you know, 44, 32, and 33, is there anything else that comes to your minds uh, on the basketball side? Well, you know, I will say just in general, and this isn't uh, isn't any one number, but I was always a fan. I always thought the most anti-establishment, cool move was to pick a number that was illegal in college. So I always liked the guys that were six, seven, eight, Havlicek, 17, you know, I just always thought, you know, why is it, why is everything got to be one through five? So I, I, so I always thought, man, if a dude's wearing six or seven, uh, then, you know, watch that guy, something, you know, he's, he's, that's a, that's a guy to watch. And then moving to hockey, hockey again, maybe a one number thing, um, you know, number nine, uh, you know, Gordy Howe, Gordy Howe was, was 41 years old in 1970 and yet he played in both the NHL and the WHA. But Gordie Howe has probably is is probably the Rosetta Stone for hockey numbers. There's probably more guys wearing nine as a result of Gordie Howe than anybody else, uh, you know, up to and including, you know, Bobby Hall, the Golden Jet, uh, who was number nine because of Gordie Howe. And then towards the end of the decade there, you got Wayne Gretzky, who was wearing ninety nine. Uh, because of, of yeah, Gordie Howe. I wouldn't doubt that a lot of the 99s were just Gordie Howe fans and nine was already taken, right? I would imagine you, that you've got some 99s out there who I love Gordie Howe and somebody else has already squatted on that number because it's it's kind of one of the desirable ones, right? So, so okay, I'll, I'll, I'll throw two nines on. So Gordie's probably responsible for a ton of 99s as well. 
So that's a fun little run down memory lane in the 1970s. And guys, can you hear it? Can you hear that music? I can hear it. Let's all go to the lobby. You can hear it. That means it's time for what? Screen stars. Screen stars from the 1970s. And we've got a very special episode today with our friend Ricky Cobb. So we've got a very special category. And Ricky, we're going to let you go first. But here's the category. Best athlete number in a 1970s sports comedy. So we're not talking about dramas. So we're going to tip our hats to James Kahn as Jonathan E. in Rollerball and Warren Beatty as Joe Pendleton in Heaven Can Wait. Um, and we're, we're talking about actors, not athletes. So we're not talking about Julius Irving in The Fish That Say Pittsburgh or Ray Nitschke in The Longest Yard or Joe Cap in a million different movies that were all pretty well terrible. We're talking about actors. So here are the five nominees, and you can tell me which number is the best of the 1970s sports comedy genre. So we start out with number one, Billy D. Williams as Bingo Long in Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings from 1976. The next number is number three, Jackie Earl Haley as Kelly Leak in Bad News Bears, also from 1976. Number seven, Paul Newman as Reg Dunlop from Slapshot, 1977. Number 22, Burt Reynolds as Paul Crew in The Longest Yard from 1974. And finally, number 87, Nick Nolte as Philip Elliott in North Dallas 40 from 1979. So, Ricky, what's your pleasure there? How do you, how do you break those down? Ooh, that is a stout lineup of contenders that you have assembled. Look, I, I, there are a couple of names here that jump out at me. I'm not going to lie. All, all five deserve uh, respect and, and props. Bingo Long, obviously uh, a man ahead of his time, a great showman. I would say that you, know, you can't imagine Bingo Long wearing anything other than number one. But setting the bar pretty high. Nick Nolte on the other end of the spectrum, number 87, Nick Nolte. I got to go with respect to, to Paul Crew. <laughs> obviously delivered really on a, on a stage that quite frankly, given the stakes was, it was greater than any Super Life Bowl. Or death. <laughs> With all respect to, uh, to the great Paul crew, I would have to come back and I got to feel like it's a horse race between Kelly Leak and, and uh, Reggie Dunlop. And at the end of the day, as much as I love Reggie Dunlop, and I do love Reggie Dunlop, politically incorrect Reggie Dunlop, that movie, both of these movies is probably just the fact that I'm a question, person of questionable sensibilities because uh, Slapshot and Bad News Bears are great movies. And with each passing year, they become more and more obviously a movie that can never be made today <laughs> in the same same way that it was then. So uh, I, I love those movies for that reason, among others. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to the clutch situation, I want number three. Oh, yeah. From Chico's Bail Bonds at the plate. I'm going to hitch my wagon to Jackie Earl Haley, Kelly Leak, the greatest little league slugger in the history of our national pastime. <laughs> Cannot argue I don't with disagree that. with no, you. No. You know, a guy who was at the very beginning of his career where you look at, you know, somebody like Dunlop or Crew or Philip Elliott, 
you know, they they were getting a little long in the tooth by that point. Maybe their greatest days had been behind him. You know, Jackie Earl Haley as Kelly Leak, nothing but green grass ahead of him. He's a slugger par excellence, you know, and he's going to do great things even later in the 70s when he goes and plays at the Astrodome in Houston. I think Kelly Leak is the pick. Rudy, any uh, I, any disagreement there? I can't disagree with that. The guy, I mean, his, his slugging, his power numbers off the charts, his cigarette smoking off the charts. He's a ladies man, motorcycle guy. What more do you want, man? Pinball wizard? I mean, come on. I think it's a good pick. It's a really nice pick, Ricky. Nice job. He was a five. He was maybe like a nine tool player when you add the (laughs) cigarette smoking and the motorcycling and all the different things in it. So we're all in agreement that the best athlete number in a 1970s sports comedy, number three, the great Jackie Earl Haley as Kelly Leak in Bad News Bears. And that is another edition of Screen Stars. Let's take a little bit of a detour now and talk about our favorite players from the 70s. Ricky, as our guest, we'll let you start. Just give us one one number and one guy from the 70s that really stands out for you. Number 12, the snake, my favorite quarterback in the history of football, Kenny Stabler. Outstanding. Rudy, what do you got? Man, I've got number six, Steve Garvey. I've got the, uh, you know, Popeye forearms, always hitting 300, always hitting 20 home runs. I love Steve Garvey. I had a poster of him above my bed for many years. A little embarrassing to admit that now, but whatever, man. Love Steve Garvey. No, no, no. There's no shame in that game, Rudy. <laughs> I, I, I'm a Garvey guy too, man. It's fashionable to clown on Garvey, and I've done it a couple of times myself. I've always been a Garvey guy, man. Clutch player, didn't miss any games, 200 hits a year. You could just pencil it in every year. That's a good pick. I'm going to go number 17, Jim Hart quarterback for the St. Louis football Cardinals, the team of, of my youth. Fortunately for me, Jim Hart was my hero growing up because he went to Southern Illinois university, Harvard of the Midwest. But Jim was also my first boss. And sometimes you hope your heroes are what you expect them to be. And Jim was every bit of that and more probably a better person than he was a football player. And he was quite a football player. When he retired, he was third all time in passing yardage, still holds almost all of the Cardinals passing records and was NFL man of the year in 1975. So Jim Hart is a great guy and a good friend. And he's my guy. That's tremendous. I always liked Jim Hart. There were some really good Cardinals teams that that he led. One of the best quarterbacks that's not in the Hall of Fame. No, no doubt about Agreed. it. In my opinion, and he did an underwear ad. Ask him about. Oh, he, he's he's very uh, he's he's very forthcoming about the underwear ad and how embarrassing it was, and he was the most clothed of anybody in that underwear ad. Looking back on it now, I mean that's a win for Jim over uh, over another Jim, right? Because you know Jim, I've seen a couple of ads with Jim Palmer where he looks like he's wearing pants. <laughs> he is. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, he, it's, he, he is wearing I'm pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Ricky, who else who else is on your on your list? Wow, I am going to have to go with my first favorite player in any sport, Reginald Martinez Jackson, number 44 in your program with the uh, with the New York Yankees. Great pick, great 70s pick. Rudy, who you got? Man, we talked about him earlier, Dr. J. Um actually I loved him as a sixer, but number 32 with that big afro. I mean, that's that's Dr. J to me, man. Love Dr. J. Loved everything about him. 
Uh, glad he won an NBA title and uh, beat the, the dreaded and hated Lakers. Um, that was awesome behind Moses Malone, really. <laughs> but love Dr. J, so Dr. J for sure. Again, I'm going to go obscure, but I think you guys will follow me on this one. Number 84, Billy White Shoes Johnson. If you were oh. a kid in the 70s and you didn't do his funky chicken dance after you scored a touchdown in your backyard, you might be a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> Billy White Shoes Johnson was awesome. Uh, he was an All-Pro in 75 and 77. He's on the NFL's 75th anniversary team. Billy White Shoes jo- Johnson was the best. The best. It's not the number of touchdowns you score. It's the number of touchdowns you score that bring pure joy Absolutely. to people. His touchdowns were worth like 10 regular guy touchdowns. Couldn't get him the ball fast enough. We're going to leave it right there. Ricky, this has been... A, a ton of fun. Uh, we, we appreciate so much. Uh, well, we first off appreciate your Twitter feed, but we appreciate you uh, hanging out, taking the time, being an astronaut here and taking uh, the test flight with us. And hopefully it was fun for you as well. Guys, I've had a blast. I, I can't think of anything better than just kicking back with a couple of cool dudes and having a freestyle conversation about the seventies and numbers. And I wish you guys a lot of success with this podcast, because I got a feeling that it's going to, it's going to go places. I think you got to hit here. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for, thank you for having me on. And uh, I'd love to do it again sometime. Awesome. Excellent. Thanks for being on, Ricky. Yeah, thanks, Ricky. And, and he called us cool dudes, Rudy, so that's cool, too. That's super cool. That's it for this very special edition of Putting Up Numbers. Our thanks to the great Ricky Cobb from Super 70 Sports on Twitter and also the Super 70 Sports Store. Make sure you check that out. If you're not following Ricky, let's face it, you're probably not listening to this podcast anymore. Uh, remember to check us out at PuttingUpNumbers.com. And if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and give us a rating. Uh, It's the very least you can do. You're sitting around the house anyway. So come on, like, subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. I'm Rudy Klanek. And we'll see you soon on Putting Up Numbers.